Welcome to the Skillset Podcast, brought to you by the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina and Publishers Weekly. I'm David Lankus, Professor and Director of the School. Kelvin Watson is the Broward County Library's Director as of February 26, 2017. His prior position was as the Chief Operating Officer and Senior Vice President for Queens Library in New York City, which serves 2.3 million people. In this episode, he walks through his journey from infantryman to vendor to librarian, often as the only black man in the room. With frankness and clarity, he talks about how these experiences have shaped his commitment to service and his dedication to serving veterans and the often unsupported members of a community. Dr. Nicole Cook leads us off. So, Calvin, thank you so much for joining us today. It is an honor and pleasure to be able to speak with you. I wanted to get us started. Um, So in these conversations, we're talking a lot about current events. So be it COVID, uh, being the racial unrest, being the economic decline and how all of those impact libraries and their services. But before we get into that, I wanted to ask you to talk a little bit about your own journey uh, as a library professional. We are in a profession that is predominantly white, predominantly female, and it has been that way uh, probably, you know, many decades, probably since the inception. And so to have a African-American man uh, do the things that you are doing in the field uh, is pretty rare. And I think it should be raised up so we can continue to work towards diversifying the profession. So if you could talk to us a little bit about your trajectory um, and if that uh, has any resonance with you with the phrase representation matters, we would love to hear a little bit more about your story. Okay. So um, thank you again for having me uh, participate in this conversation. So my my journey started, and I'll you know I'll, I'll shorten it so it, we won't take the entire hour. But my my journey started you know not as um, librarianship being something that I was pursuing. Um, out of college, I was um, an infantry officer on act uh, serving on active duty. And I then was recruited by a, a library supplier, Ingram uh, Book Company at that time, and was one of a few um, African-Americans um, providing services to libraries. Um, when I looked around the conference showroom at my first conference, I, I think I was maybe one of two um, vendors. Um, And so uh, that was an eye opener for me um, from the beginning. And so I so I consider myself in the profession starting out as a vendor. Um, I later um, was introduced to the Black Caucus of the American Library Association, um, who with with open arms greeted me, made me a part of the organization again because you know, representation, I represented uh, them, the, the African-American librarians as part of the part of BCLA as, you know, as part of being, you know, a member of the Ingram, the Ingram company. And that was, you know, it was, it was always, a, it was always a challenge. And so one of the things that I'll share with you is that my, the, one of the reasons that I was recruited to be a part of 
the Ingram Library Services organization was because I uh, because I am an African American, and that that was once told to me, or you know, uh, initially was that you know this is why you were recruited, and I found that to be very you know. Um, I didn't find it disturbing actually at first. I found it to be a an opportunity for me to raise the profile of African Americans in the industry, to raise the profile of African American librarianship uh, as well. And I used it actually to my advantage. Mm -hmm. um, would be providing funding to BCLA through Ingram to say, okay, yeah, you might have used me as a you know, as a token, but but I'm mm. going to take this opportunity to um, uh, to use you. I guess is the is the phrase that I will use, and you guys know me, so I will be I, I will be you know uh, that's the comment. So I later I later um, after I left Ingram, um, I went to to work at, at Borders, another place where I was not. Uh, where African Americans weren't represented <laughs> much uh, in a Fortune 500 company, um, I I started library school at that at that time, um, and I decided even though I was in Michigan, I decided not to go to the University of Michigan's library school, but instead to do the program online that they that North Carolina Central Library offered, because yes. that was at that point the only HBCU. That was providing mm -hmm. uh, that was a library school, and so mm -hmm. um, I that I I did that for a lot of reasons, and you know partly again because it was an HBCU, I knew that I would feel welcome mm. um, in that program, um, and, and not so much at uh, at any other you know any other including the University of Michigan again, even though I lived and worked probably five miles or less from. <laughs> the, the school. Um, and so I, you know, when I got into the profession um, as a librarian, um, after I got my library degree, that's, let's say that, I, will, I won't say I as a librarian, as my library degree, um, I, um, <laughs> I was not fully accepted, interestingly enough, even though I had been, you know, a part of BCLA for many years, that, um, when I applied for my when I applied for a, uh, an opportunity to serve on the ALA Council, the the um, because I was a vendor one, um, I I uh, there was a lot of debate actually about my application or you know to be a part of the to be a part of it um, the the ALA Council and I found that to be interesting um, and and again here here was an opportunity to be um, a part of ALA as an African-American man. I had gone through the Spectrum um, the Spectrum program. I'm a you know, Spectrum scholar. And here I was not, you know, they were debating, should I actually, you know, run for ALA council? <laughs> and that that's so. So therefore, you can, I, you know, you, I started to really understand that, um, a lot about the profession. And again, um, and maybe that's why BCLA, that's why I was a member of BCLA before I was a member of ALA. <laughs> um, and, you know, so, um, so my, so then I left, I left Borders, of course, Borders went out of business. 
I applied for library jobs. Um, I was not selected for many library jobs initially because um, uh, I had just gotten my MLS, even mm -hmm. you know, despite the fact that I had been working in the profession at that time, nearly 10 years. I understood collection development. I had led, um, I had worked for a Fortune 500 company. I had, I had worked and led Ingram Library Services as a director of sales, $135 million. You know, so I had, I had what you would consider, or at least I considered a lot of leadership management experience, along with having the MLS, along with having a diverse background. And I couldn't even, and I couldn't even get a job. Sometimes I couldn't even get an interview. <laughs> um, so, so um, I ended up uh, working after Borders. I worked at the, um, I worked for another library vendor, uh, the Library Corporation, and was living in West Virginia. And I, I live my my home. Nicole was right across the street from a Civil War. Um, uh, uh, historical house. <laughs> so, so you, I live in Inwood. Uh, I live near Inwood, uh, West Virginia, Martinsburg, West Virginia. And um, again, that the town, um, I was looked at quite often because I, I definitely was uh, not someone who belonged here. And so I'm a, I'm a black man, librarian, uh, working for a, a mostly uh, you know, white organization here in Inwood, and it's just you know that was again another another challenge for me. Um, let's see the oh next after that I worked at the National Agricultural Library after mm -hmm. after that stayed at, I stayed at I stayed at I stayed in Inwood uh, the Inwood Martinsburg area for about a year. That's pretty much all I could take. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I worked at the National Agricultural Library. And as you you know, you can imagine being in um, you know being in the D.C. area, um, and we had a few African Americans in um, you know at the Ag Library, but none in leadership. I was um, I was the um, the, the, the uh, head of acquisitions, chief collection development officer there, and I found even at the national at the national libraries there were not many people of color represented in in leadership ranks um and primarily you know that it was um, that, that that profession was um either um white female dominated there were a few white men um i i i have been and and as you can see i've gone through this 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 high level career progression and you know, I've been a, an anomaly, I guess, this entire time. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I learned, you know, I learned a lot there and working with, you know, working to try to, again, um, uh, represent uh, African-Americans. I continue to progress at, in BCLA. Um, that's what I ran for. The, I was the BCLA president. Um, a vice president elect actually when I was at um, when I was at the Ag Library and so can just continue to try to make move the profession forward um, and highlight African American men. You know, I tell this story sometimes before I continue on my career. I tell the story all the time. If you can if you can count 
and name all of the African-American library directors. On to, if you can name them, which I can almost name every one of the public library um, yep. uh, library directors, that is a problem. If I, you know them by name. Yes. Um, and I just had this conversation last week uh, with with um, with one of our uh, with one of our white colleagues who actually is the person that hired me at the Queens Library. Mm. He was, um, you know, um, I had, as you can see, I had no public library experience um, and was hired to lead the Queens, you know, Queens Library, one of the largest library systems in the country. I came in as uh, to lead their organization, um, their ebook services. Mm. Uh, so um, I started there in 2012. Um, and within five years, I had been promoted several times and I uh, made it to be the chief operating officer of the Queens Library. And, you know, in, 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 in places that I had been, um, it, it, beca it became normal to, a, to an extent to be the only African-American, number one, certainly only African-American man mm. to be in, in, in this crowd with, uh, with my colleagues. It, it has become normal almost. Um, and it, because I've been the only, I've been the, the only one at dinner, at, yes. you know, other places, <laughs> you, you know, you can, you, it becomes almost normal. Um, and that is, that's a problem. And it's, and it's something that I've communicated with um, people um, lately in the issues that we've been, that we've seen, um, the, the continual, you know, systematic, uh, cultural racism, the, the things that have happened, you know, the interactions that African-Americans have had, continue to have with the police. And I've had this conversation with the Urban Library Council directors, frankly, telling them that they need to be a part of the solution in changing what the face of their organizations look like. Absolutely. Right, the first bringing in diversity of not just people of color, but even even diversity of where people come from. Right, mm -hmm. their backgrounds. Um, and and that's been my challenge to them. Um, so um, I, I left Queens Library in, in, in 2017 to become the, the director here at Broward County Libraries, um, a very, uh, very diverse organization. Um, we have, you know, uh, we have nearly a thousand employees at one time or another, 38 different locations. Um, looks sort of like Queens Library, but it's not, <laughs> it's down here in Florida. And you know, one of the things that I've been that I've been doing, even as even as late as yesterday, is making people, even in the, the community, aware via my director's book discussion of issues that um, uh, racial uh, injustice issues um, through conversations with the community. Um, so yesterday I was discussing the Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, and yes. it, that book is based on um, the Dozier School for Boys happened here in you know in Florida near Tallahassee, 
And, you know, I talk about during this discussion, I talk about dignity and racism and the culture. And I talk about two my own personal experiences of and because one of the questions that came up yesterday was about Florida. And we we talked probably for hours about Florida um, and its issues with elections and its issues with COVID and its issues, you know, just issues, period. But what but what somebody what the, one of the questions that the moderator asked me yesterday was about specifically about Florida. And I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in St. Louis. And but throughout my 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 early, I guess throughout my life until I moved to Florida. I really hadn't thought of Florida as being a place similar to Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas. I hadn't really thought about Florida as being the South, mm. even though it's in the South, right? You just, Florida is just vacate, you think about going vacation, yes. things, all that. But uh, about a year and a half ago, I was driving home from work and, and it hit me, uh, and I'll tell you why it hit me, that I'm the black man, African-American, you know, I'm the black man, I'm the black library director. But I was driving home from work and this this woman, this white woman actually called me the N-word when I was driving, as I was driving down the street. And that then put so many things into perspective for me. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, I was a little taken aback. I was shocked. Said I was like, what? What happened? What just happened? And um, I got home and I told my wife, I said, you know, I I was just this woman just called me the N word as I was driving down the street, and you know, and I then have been able to articulate that to uh, people here in the community as I as I go out and talk, right? Um, because I am because I am in the community. Um, right. I am one of the directors that is actually going out. I visit, not just visit the libraries. I mean, I literally sit down and it's not, this is not to have, um, you know, roundtable discussions. We actually talk about uh, issues and I use literature. I use books like The Nickel Boys. Just even before COVID, we had just wrapped up my discussions around um, A Lesson Before Dying by Ernest Gaines. Mm -hmm. And we have been talking about that book and how how black people have been treated continually throughout the time that we came to this country and how you're guilty, for example, you're guilty before, you know, you're guilty right away. Right. Not even, you know. Um, and so you talk about, you know, you, you think about library programming and you think about how you can take you know, book discussions, you can talk about this community engagement that I've been working, you know, working on and working towards. I have um, here with the team, we've implemented something called um, inviting the uninvited. Hmm. And that really focuses on letting people know, actively letting people know via our programming, social media, being in the community, that everyone is welcome at the library, regardless of your status, regardless of your income. We're going to, you know, actively bridge the digital divide. 
We're going to we make tablets available. We have hotspots. Um, we implemented a program for specifically for veterans of called the Veterans Hotspot Program. If you're a veteran, it's, it's it, it became a benefit here. Uh, actually, veterans would would come here to Florida and visit and go back to their uh, home states and or you know where they're from and take you know go to the library and tell them why haven't you implemented a program similar, right? So, and I early on in this conversation, if you remember, I am a veteran, so yeah. I use my veterans status as a way to help communicate better with veterans. We offer more veteran services than we have also done. Um, you know, uh, we created a countywide veteran program when I got here. It started with the tablets. I mean, it started with the hotspots, but then it now has branched out to be that we do, you know, pre-COVID, we were doing a veterans festival hmm. uh, in November to bring veterans and their families together. We had we had offer um, food. Uh, we so we, it's a part. It's a way to actually you know serve the community, give them some services, give you know give them some food. You know we work with the United Way and their Mission United program um, to to do that. Um, and and it and it's all about for me. It's all about. Um, the representation one, but it's also about making sure that the library is the library's role is in serving the community that we're doing it, and I'm part of that solution, not and not the problem. And so, when my colleagues, when one of my colleagues reached out to me and said, "Are you going to make a statement about what happened?" to George Floyd and and are you going to you know are you going to um, as you know many many organizations were making statements about their support um you know to be you know um more inclusive and that they were not going to be uh, racist and so on and so forth um and libraries lots of libraries did the same lots of, you know and I'm not I'm not bemoaning any library for doing that or any leader for doing that but I, I, I went in another direction and said, you know, I'm not going to make a formal statement here in Broward. Lots of my, you know, even my, some of my staff were asking me to make a statement. I said, I'm not going to make a statement because you know why? I make a statement every day. Yes. If I can make it from my house <laughs> to work and from, my, from me, from work back home, I didn't. I, that's, I've made a statement already. If just by doing that, by coming in there to work every day, I, I've done that. The other, the other way that I've made a statement is through the actions that I've taken in leading this organization, in in hiring and making sure that I have a diverse, not just diverse staff because it you know in paraprofessionals and library aides, but that my administration staff is also diverse and that you can see that diversity throughout the organization you know um so the actions that you take that that was that was again my response the actions that i've taken the programming that we've implemented those are my statements and so as i said i make a statement every day 
by doing what I do, by doing the job that I do and the job that I expect others to do. I'm a part, uh, uh, currently I'm a part of the um, diversity, equity, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility task force for the Florida Library Association. They asked me to be a co-chair of that um, a couple months ago um, as, as FLA kind of looks at trying to look within and to change what the, um, uh, what the association membership looks like, I guess is the way that I'll say that, and that they make sure that they are that they are being more inclusive. And you know, here's a, here's again another conversation I was having with uh, with a friend's uh, one of my friends' uh, presidents yesterday. Uh, I have 31 friends groups here in in, Flor in Broward, so you know, so I so I try to talk to them, but I have a I have a friendship with this with this particular. Um, with this particular president, and we we have some really good conversations even about diversity. And she said to me yesterday, "The library is very diverse." And I said, "Yeah, we we've we've done some good good things." I said, "But we lack diversity in our librarian ranks," and I don't think yes. she really realized that. She because what she sees is when she goes in and she sees the library aide and the the um, the other library uh, paraprofessionals uh, at the circulation desk and other places that they are, you know, in a lot of cases, black, you know, they're, they're African-American. What she hadn't seen until I pulled back the, um, the cover yesterday to say the librarians that work here are not diverse. I have, as I told you, I have nearly a thousand employees. I can tell you almost how many black librarians I have on my staff. Wow. <laughs> I can, so mm -hmm. I recognize that as a problem. FLA recognizes that as a problem. And so we're, we're working towards some ideas and some actionable um, uh, things that we can put in place to recruit. And one of the things that I told them um was my suggestion is we you know we have five ethnic caucuses as part of the American Library Association and I named them and but there are so many in our profession who don't know either don't know let me let me let me say that they either don't know or they've been walking around with their eyes closed for however many years they've been in this profession. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so because we've got these five ethnic caucuses, we've got the Joint Conference of Librarians of Color, which brings all five of them together. And when I hear people say, A, they don't know about these organizations or they don't know where to recruit from, which is one of these things that well, one of these gentlemen, I think one, somebody said even in the banking industry recently, that he didn't know where to recruit from, right? Or there, there, there was no candidates. I, well, when I, that's just not true. Um, you need to be, uh, again, either you, you've been not walking around, you've been walking around with your eyes closed because the candidates are there. Mm -hmm. And easy enough to, to if, you, if you are waiting, see, here's the problem uh, with, with, with that. Um, 
in another conversation as you and I keep bringing up these conversations because I I have these conversations a lot uh and I've been having these a, a lot more probably in this you know even pre-covid but I've been having these conversations a lot more and you know one director recently public library director recently in one of these conversations said he would not feel comfortable going up to if he was at a conference at a, at a, at a, at a like an ala conference he would feel uncomfortable approaching a um a minority if they were walking by to talk to them about coming to work for his organization and i i was here another opportunity for me to be taken aback to say really you just go up to the person and say hey yeah. um my name is such and such. I'm the director of such and such. And I'm, you know, what is your name? And you know, what do you do? And I'm trying to recruit minorities to my organization. It's not, it's not that it's not that hard, right? It's, it's it's really that to me, it just seems to be that simple. But he was um, you know, he's he actually said he wasn't comfortable with with, with having to do that or doing that. We'll return to our interview in just a moment. First, I'd like to tell you about our sponsor for the podcast, the School of Information Science at the University of South Carolina. Interested in librarianship? Then join a nationally ranked program with over a quarter century of experience educating leaders in the field online. From the State Library of Vermont to San Francisco to the Business Library of Oxford University, our graduates lead in schools, cities, and states around the U.S. and beyond. Now, let's get back to our interview. As another part of that conversation was from um, another library director that says that she had um, she had a uh, a minority candidate who had recently gotten their MLS, and she said that, "Wow, you know, the offers are just I'm I'm sure the offers are just pouring in to recruit you," and I said, and and the, and the woman said the, the the woman who recently got her MLS said no. No, they're not. And that shocked my colleagues on this call that that people aren't just, you know, all over the place trying to recruit them. And I said, yeah, that's 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 accurate. That doesn't happen. I don't believe that, if you know, because you are a minority that that you then have a, a buffet of jobs available, available to you. It just it doesn't happen like it doesn't magically happen like that. That, that we need to be actively out doing that. And that's something that I have um, undertaken, um, not only as a, um, as a library leader, but this is something that I think is, you know, just kind of sewn into my DNA now. And that, you know, even at Ingram, when I was doing that years ago, um, and I walked in and I said, as I said, I was one of the few minorities. And when I became director of sales, I had one of the, the one of the diversest library sales staff that probably I don't think anybody has matched it to date because um, I think I still when I walk through the ALA uh, PLA and other uh, other uh, when I walk through that uh, I still see the same some of either a I still see some of the same people that I saw. Uh, nearly 30 years ago, still, still, <laughs> still had those boots, and but all the people still look alike to, to me. <laughs> uh, so, um, 
you know, that's that's that is uh, something to be uh, something to be said, uh, you know, as, as well. But, you know, this this whole this whole dynamic of of um, of our profession and where we uh, where we need to go. Um, I think, again, we all just need to be um, actively doing what doing what we need to do. We need to actively do it. Stop talking about it. Um, I'm going to say stop putting out statements that just you can't stand behind and actually get get it done. Um, you know, because they just to me, those are just uh, words. I tell you guys something. Um, I was um, even here at here, here at Broward and I work for the, the county. Uh, they have this leadership uh, banner that we all had displayed. I had it displayed in my uh, uh, right outside my office when you get off the elevators as a way to welcome you. Um, and it talks about diversity. It talks about some other things. And this again is a county a county um, banner. I, I took the banner down. I took the banner down, and I said, "This isn't true." So when it becomes true, I'll put it back up. Mm-hmm. And my and my and my staff they they still talk about me pulling that banner down. Um, because that's the person I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not going. Um, I'm not one of these people that uh, you know. You have uh, these policies. You have these other things in place, um, but you don't do it. You don't. There, there's. You don't take. It, you don't take the actions. You just have the policy just to check the block. And I'm not a check the block person. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage everybody, uh, you know, not to be that way. You know as well that's why we're in the predicament that we're in now because people yeah. just check the box <laughs> and say oh it's done and mm-hmm. no it's really not done because the work now has to uh you know has to be uh you know put in you got to put the work in Kelvin, mm-hmm. so. that is such an amazing uh journey thank you so much for sharing that and really i just want to um thank you for being candid, right? So you had some really candid moments and I think that's how we continue the conversation, right? And if we don't have these candid moments and if we don't make other people uncomfortable, uh, you have your uh, driving story, I have a driving story, lots of our our other uh, colleagues of color have very, very similar experiences and stories. you know, and, and people tell us we're being sensitive and, you know, it's really not that bad. Um, and we have to have these conversations if we're going to push forward. So I just want to thank you for uh, being candid. David, did you have a question for Calvin? Well, once again, I just let me say thank you as well. I, I'm, I just wanted to ask a question around the um, inviting the uninvited program. Um, because, yeah, because I think that there's a couple of ways, you know, we can intentionally uninvite folks, the kind of, um, but oftentimes we unintentionally do it. And you're talking about that banner, for example, where we put up the banner and put out our statement and clearly everyone is now invited to come in uh, regardless of race, creed and color. And the point is, it's got to be a lot more than that. How do you reach out to the uninvited group? How do you um, create an inviting environment for them to come in? So I've done... um... I, along with the team, have done a, a, a lot of different uh, things, David. So one is we cre- recreated, um, or let me say this, we enhanced our community uh, community engagement area. 
So we, again, actively go out to uh, the, uh, these, the places where people are. I, you I, you got to go where the people are. You can't expect them to, um, I call it the push and pull. You can, you can push out the services or you can pull people in, right? And so we go out and pull people in. We do it with community partnerships. We have recently, um, recently completed across my library organization, LGBTQ uh, 101 proficiency training. Uh, I participated in it as well. Um, we also uh, go out to um, uh, a senior citizen uh, buildings. We've talked to them about our, our library services. Um, we make a, a part as part of our um, African-American uh, Research Library and, Cult and Cultural Center that we have here. When we have, uh, we have um, uh, before, this again, I'm talking pre-COVID, we, we used to have, um, and we will continue after when we get back to normal, but we have these, um, uh, think of a first Friday at your public library. Uh, for 21 and older, we have events. And we actually sign people up for library cards during that event as well. We offer the tablets, um, and it's almost like a think of it even like a party. Um, so we um, this was in 2018, um, recognizing that we were having this event at the African American Research Library that we didn't. Um, uh, necessarily weren't bringing in all of the community, even though the, li the library has been down here, you know, um, nearly 20 years. That location has been here nearly 20 years and people don't even know it in the community, which is, you know, just a, you know, a travesty. So we we did a, a uh, an event for um, the Divine Nine, which is the, um, the African-American of fraternities and sororities. We nearly had 500 people at wow. the library at six o'clock, from six o'clock till near after 10, because we had to make people go home. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you talk about inviting the uninvited, it, that's the stuff, right? You have, you know, programming that people want because you go ask them what it is that they want, right? And then you you implement it. You also um, go out again in the community. You know, you also um, again the, the push and pull through through COVID. I'll mention I'll mention Arlick again. So the African American Research Library, we had just started a program where we were going to be scanning some of our African um, African. Uh, mask and other um, things that we had in our archives. We had just recently won a grant to do that. And we were doing, and we weren't just scanning, we were 3D scanning those so that they're actually, actually replicas of what you find in the, in the library. Um, and we had this whole plan that we were going to do virtual online tours. We we're going to make the replicas available when people came, primarily students, would come visit the library. We were partnering with schools on that. And so when, when COVID hit, we still move forward with some of those with some of those things. So we've got we've had actual 
virtual uh, exhibits with those uh, with those 3D scans, for example. Um, so we have shifted to invite the uninvited. Uh, now during COVID, um, our library system was closed to the public physically, but our staff actually was still working. So we've been working the entire time. Um, and we just found ways virtually to reach out to the public. We also partnered again, we partnered with um, our, the Museum of um, Discovery and Science is one of our partnerships to promote their, their uh, what they were doing and, and share their email list along with our email list. So that's a way to, again, introduce, you know, keep, the, keep people engaged with the library. And we also have been working with um, the Holocaust Education Center. We have a Holocaust Education Center here in, um, here in Broward County. Um, and they are uh, uh, one of our partners as well. So we've been promoting what they've been, uh, what they've been offering and, and vice versa. And we're, we're looking at some other, uh, some other projects with them. Um, so it's through partnerships, I, 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 I say, you know, it's partnerships, it's, it's actionable things. Um, you know, we had already put, you know, we put libraries, um, I, my philosophy of, of the library is that the library is more than these buildings and these spaces. And you heard me talk about this before, David, that the library is virtually everywhere and available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. My, no, the county administrator, my boss, she actually said last year about this time, Kelvin would put a library in the bathroom if he could. This is a comment <laughs> that she made. So, and, and that is, and that is as a, that's a result of us launching library services at our county parks. So I partnered with the parks. So we offer library services, particularly our Frigo music. And we have work, we have these fitness areas in the park. So now you can log on to your library and listen to music while you're doing your workouts at the park, right? Mm -hmm. We also have library services via the pop-up libraries that we uh, we work with, with, with Baker and Taylor on that. But we put, we have Wi-Fi on our buses. So I was like, we should put the pop-up library on the buses. So we mm -hmm. launched a library for the buses. Um, we have, you know, I don't know when was the last, when the last time you were here to, you know, in, in uh, at the Florida, uh, at the Fort Lauderdale, at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood Airport. We've got an all digital library in the airport um, oh. for visitors, for people who live here, et cetera. We also uh, had just launched this um, right before the cruise uh, ships stopped sailing, mm. a partnership with our seaport mm. to offer library services to the cruise line workers as okay. they get off the ships. We would, yes. So, so you talk about how I do it, how we do it. That's how I do it, David. I don't, there, and there's no, there's the, the possibilities are limitless hmm. <laughs> for where and how you can do and offer library services. You know, we, we, we're, we're still finishing up the, the census, for example. 
and so we were one of the uh, we we were one of the winners uh, awardees of the ALA mini grants, and we said as part of the grant that we would we would offer these uh, pull up banners promoting the census in in multiple languages. Well, that'd be a challenge since. Uh, the libraries were closed to the public <laughs> and nobody would see the banners. What we, so what, what we did, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to actually take some credit for this, is I said, yeah, we're going to still do the banners, but what we're going to do is we're going to put them at food distribution sites where people are going to get food. We're going to put the, we're going to partner with retailers because grocery stores are still open. CVS is still open. So, so that was, you know, that was a way for us to still do what we said we were going to do with the mini grants and as well as promote the census and, you know, promote the library as well because they were library banners. So that's what inviting the uninvited is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Thank you. That is amazing. I'm I'm still stuck on the, the partnership with the cruise ships. That that's kind of brilliant. Um, <laughs> um, I wanted to um, follow up on uh, something you were saying, uh, in when you were talking about being an African American male in librarianship. And I know that uh, you are a fierce advocate for mentoring, and you walk the walk when it comes to mentoring the librarians that are coming into the profession. And you talked about tokenism, right? And we know, you know, that that can be burdensome, it could be confusing, it can be all of these things. So when the profession talks about retention, right, we don't have as much difficulty uh, recruiting uh, great diverse candidates into the profession. Uh, but to your point, uh, you know, they don't often have a buffet of job opportunities, even when they are called, you know, diversity hires and, and things of that nature. Um, and then once they get into the profession, sometimes that can be difficult. I have uh, young librarians of color all the time say to me, I don't know how you've lasted this long in the profession. And that can be a difficult uh, question to answer, right? And much like you, I am, have been very used to being the only one in an organization or one of very few. So I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about uh, your mentorship and what do you tell your mentees uh, mm. who really want to be a part of the field because they realize how dynamic it is, um, but they're struggling with whether or not they feel like they're a part of it or that they're wanted or that they're welcome. Got it. So, you know, interestingly enough, I, so I, I mentioned um, how I made a statement out to the Urban Libraries um, Council directors. And one of those directors, um, actually, you would, you, you would know her because she's, you know, in, in your area. Melanie uh, Huggins reached out to me yes. and she said, she emailed and said, Kelvin, I've got a um, I've got a young man who works here at the library. He's not a librarian, but he's one of our branch managers. And would you talk to him? Would you just, you know, give him some, you know, just talk, right? Not, you know, because I, I believe that informal mentoring is the best. I don't, I don't, you know, I've been in these formal mentoring programs. They kind of sputter out, <laughs> but but the informal ones, I've had. Nicole, for I don't know how many years where I've got people that I've mentored, male, female, African-American, who's who just 
they've just kept in touch. I've kept in touch and we we just communicate or they have a question and I've kind of got, you know, given them some advice. But I reached out to the young man and um, we, 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 we've spoken now, uh, we speak monthly, we've spoken a few times. You know, I talked to him about, you know, his, his um, the, I've talked to him about the challenges that, I, that I've had. Um, I let him know that I'm here for him. This is something, again, I don't even, I, I hadn't even never seen him, never laid eyes on the man. We just communicate via the phone. Um, I introduced him to the Black Caucus of ALA. Um, I paid his membership to get him started. And, and you know, that that's the first thing, right? Is that we need, um, you know, we need not just allies in our, uh, in our in our white colleagues, but we need somebody said this on another um, another I think um, an African American Library Director Felton Thomas said we need co-conspirators. We need people in there with us yes. to help make the change that we need to make. And so um, I so that's what I so that's one thing, right? That's how we I think is something that. It's a recent occurrence, right? But that's what we actually need. We need the white colleagues because when I look back over my career, not just in libraries, but even you know, even at Ingram and Borders, and I've all I've had because I was the only one or one of the or few, I've had white colleagues, white supervisors, leaders be champions for me and yes. help support me. And they've helped guide me, so it hasn't been just the reliance upon uh, people of color to support me. Mm-hmm. That's how you keep the folks. Yeah. That's how you retain them. You because you have um, again co-conspirators who want and understand that to be to be a successful organization, to be a successful team that you need that diversity. You need that diversity, not just, again, not just in, you know, skin color, but you need the voice, the diversity of voice, the diversity of background, those differing experiences. Um, And so that's one. The second is when you do find uh, a place um, like the Black Caucus that, uh, you know, that, that, that they're part of nurturing and helping retain and, you know, some, sometimes it's just having somebody to talk to, <laughs> you know, it's just having somebody to bounce those ideas off of. I do it. Um, and I'll tell you, I do it with, again, minority, I mean, black colleagues. I do it with white colleagues, do it, you know, because, you know, um, that's just, you know, you need you need to have those conversations. You need to be able to talk, talk things through, you know, when a new um you know, we recently we so we've we've added to the to the uh, African American male library public library directors ranks recently uh, uh, in a few locations actually across the country smaller libraries. Um, but um, the, the director of uh, Winston Salem uh, uh, in Winston Salem uh, reached out to me when he became uh, a library director, and um, we talked you know for a couple hours. And so I'm always available um, to give that advice um, and help. But the challenge is, again, the solution is in these organizations. 
that they not just bring people in as you as you mentioned Nicole. They they you know it's got to be more than just checking the block. It's got to be listening. It's got to be learning. Yes. Right. It's got to be learning about what it is that make um what it is that make us tick and how you know again I'm thinking about conversations as as I'm talking. I'm thinking about how I've had to just sit down and just say um to my to my um my white colleagues after after eric garner died in new york i i had to sit down with my with and i was um i was a vice president um at the queen's library at that time one of there were two of us so there was me and then there was my, my colleague who was over uh, public service we lived in the same neighborhood for example and we took the same path, driving path home. I mean, we literally. And I and I sat down and I told him. I said, you know, if I when I go home, if I get pulled over, I don't know if I'm going to make it home. But if you get pulled over, you you did you know more than likely you definitely going to make it home. And he didn't. He got it once I had that conversation. And I think that's again part of us. You know, we. There's some onus on us too, though, when we come into these organizations that we need to have these that we need to be willing to, um, you know, be ourselves. Number one, which is something I just told a couple of young um, young men who are in the profession last week. I told them to be themselves. I told them to, you know, have the conversations. I told them to, um, you know active make changes and participate um so as you can see a lot of that was putting some onus on them as they as i was mentoring them to say it, it goes both ways right we can't just go to the organization and think that just because we got, you know they they brought us in that we don't have any responsibility uh we have some right but our responsibility is to help educate and mm -hmm. that is that is what I think, you know, uh, doesn't always happen. And I don't know about you, Nicole, but I, I, I think I know about you. I think I know that in you that you educate. <laughs> you know, it's having those difficult conversations, right? Yes, it's yes, not. Absolutely. It's not just you gotta you gotta do it. <laughs> yes, and no matter how hard or inconvenient it may be. So we are almost at time, and I want just the conversation has been amazing and wonderful for a variety of reasons and you just mentioned educate so that's a, a great segue uh, to the last question uh, that i have for you so david and i are lis educators uh, we work in graduate library and information science programs this is your opportunity to tell us who are the students that you need? What should we be doing to make sure that we are generating the next generation of information professionals that you would want to hire at Broward County? So the people that I need are ones that um, I, I know we can't uh, change introverts into extroverts because <laughs> people are who they are but i think we need to educate them about the challenges in dealing with 
people you know that they'll interact with internally as well as externally right i think there needs to be some more education around uh decision making right what is a how do you make a decision right and you know i there's no sometimes there's no right or wrong it's just that you need to make a decision and once you make it you can actually pull some you know you can if it's not working you can change the decision nothing you know is written in stone you know i know we're running out of time but i tell people all the time i think back when i was in the army and i say i was in the army and i was in the infantry i dealt with life or death situations i work at the library um and in most cases i'm not dealing with life or death decision making <laughs> so it's okay to make a decision <laughs> right and not always rely on the leadership to do it so you know these are master people receiving masters i i would expect them to be to have some skills in that again decision making some leadership some management uh you know the dynamics of uh you know interpersonal relationships <laughs> dynamics you know those are the things that i would focus on i mean certainly you know you can you can get people up to speed on you know some of the financial things um you can get people up to speed on you know even some of the library the library stuff right it's not you know um i need practical practical in the library in public libraries i need practical people who can apply uh, uh, what they have learned, not just in library school, but in life. That's what I need. Mm -hmm. And that's what I need people to think about. Because as you can, if you've taken anything from this conversation, I've talking, I've, I haven't, I've talked about library stuff, but I primarily talked about life. Yes, it's real life. And that is the if you if you just boil it down to that, that's what's actually made me successful in my in my career is that I keep it real. I talk about the life. Um, I talk about the experience. I apply the experience to the work, right? And that's again what people, um, you know, people need to to come out of library school and be ready to do. Yeah, absolutely. And Kelvin, you've talked about life, but I've also heard you talk about relationships and building relationships, maintaining relationships, and trying to work through some of these tough scenarios and challenges uh, with partnerships and relationships. So it's it's about those uh, people skills. It's about, you know, like you said, uh, sharing those commonalities of, of life. Yes. Okay. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, what, you know, looking for the things that we have in, common we have more things in common as you all know than there are differences and if we can just come together on those common things and the common solutions uh we can we can make you know not just libraries better but i think we can make this world better too mm -hmm. perfect it has been an absolute honor to chat with you today and hear your story thank you so very much for joining us Oh, thank you for having me. You're welcome.